first of all, I'm just going to say this. We're a garden, and God walks in our midst. What do I mean when I say that we are a garden, and God walks in our midst? What I mean is we can look at the book of Genesis and see that God in creation came and walked in the garden and tasted of the fruit and saw that it was good. And later on, Adam in the cool of the evening in the garden walked with God. Part of the importance of the Celtic Christian spiritual tradition through the lives of their saints is a reminder that we are embodied beings and that God in the form that God the Son, God our Lord Jesus Christ walked among us. He feasted with us. He loved creation. He loves creation and he loves us all. He is a creator God who delights with us. He just doesn't look down from the heavens. He takes joy in his creatures becoming who we are. He desires that we become who we are called to be. So what I mean in, as a garden is a plant isn't a garden. A garden is many plants, many trees. Each one of you here, metaphorically, is a unique part of that glorious garden that God tends, that God created, but that actually gives pleasure and joy to our Creator. We're all different. We're all unique. We all have different fruits. But it is essential that we are together. That's how we are a garden, is in community. So, in addition to being metaphorically individual plants, trees, and corporately the garden, we, we aid the master gardener. And we are his trusted caretakers. So, we tend to the needs of each other. We cultivate each other. The Celtic Christian tradition, and indeed the Orthodox, uh, us, our, us Orthodox Christian, are one with this understanding. In many ways, I just want to say that, um, that, this is, that this, there's often a stress upon the Celtic church as being a church that loves creatures, that loves creation, that loves the wilderness, that has a love of animals, that is one that teaches an ecology of holiness. This was something that was not unique to the Celtic Christians. This is something that has always been part of Orthodox Christians in any time and any place. And there are so many wonderful places and times where Orthodox Christians have profoundly loved God in being stewards of creation. And I just wanted to mention that. The Celtic Christian saints, and indeed us Orthodox Christians, understand that worship and sacrifice are not a terrible and horrible burden, but are actually a joy in which we become who we truly are, participating in the life of God's creation. Worship isn't just something we do in church one day a week. We worship God with our unique individual gifts, with our very being, we are called to worship God in spirit and truth 
with every action and every moment of our lives. And indeed, I know we fail, but God is loving and gracious and is patient for us to become the children he wishes us to be. When we bless the stranger, when we bless someone with an act of kindness, when we lovingly tend to our, each other's needs, this, this is worship. This is part of worship. The modern world looks at sacrifice in a negative way. We, you know, the language of modern people is to look at sacrifice negatively, but we know differently. The Eucharist teaches us, and the church teaches us, that sacrifice is, is, is joyful. It's at the heart of our faith. It is our becoming. It is, as, as Romans said today, the saints don't count the burdens and the sufferings and the tribulations. They rejoice that they can be with Christ in these things and know that all will be well and all will be, and all manner of things will be well. In fact, if we look at the ancient world, if we look at Judaism, and we look at the sacrifice, and we inherit this, it was a time where a lot of poor people were able to enjoy a feast they normally wouldn't have. Sacrifice in the ancient world was often a time of happiness, a festival. And for us, we feast on Sundays. We celebrate the joy of each other. For the Celtic monk and the Celtic Christian, it was an embrace of nature, an ecology built upon the framework of heaven and earth, interdependence, interaction, and relationship, a holy intimacy of human, natural, and divine. Here we'd like to talk about the lives of three Celtic saints today. Funnily enough, I won't be talking about St. Brendan. I mean, I'm sorry, I will be talking about St. Brendan. I won't be talking about my patron saint, St. Columba, but I'll have to wait. Um, but I just want to talk about three Celtic saints who illuminate the lives and joy of lives of joyful sacrifice and worship to our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first person I want to talk about was a young woman who was a child when St. Patrick was an elderly man. She is sometimes known as Mary of the Gales. Uh, her name is St. Brigid of Kildare. She was born not free. She was born a slave. Her mother was a slave. Her mother was a Christian. Probably became a Christian through the ministry of St. Patrick. And she grew up lovingly raised as a Christian. Her father, on the other hand, was a very proud and arrogant chieftain. And when she was nine, she was taken into his household, and he decided to do some of the rearing of her, and he regretted this very much. Um, there are many, saint, ma many stories of, of St. Brigid. She, she was in complete and utterly, she was diametrically completely different than, than her father, and her father just didn't understand her. He believed in gaining wealth and power, and she believed in loving the poor. St. Brigid, at the core of her heart, was living a life of worship that understands worship as hospitality and charity. 
and she would always welcome people. She would she would give to the poor, give to beggars, and this um, lovingly tend. Um, there are stories of her healing birds she found out in nature and healing creatures that no person would ever know about. But that was just what her heart was motivated out of. She she even considered cre creatures. To, that she, she would give them hospitality, that they were honored guests. One of the stories I love about St. Brigid is her father had some important guests in his house, and she was told to cook some bacon for them. Um, now, these aren't just little tiny rashers. These are probably big servings of bacon, and there were five servings of bacon. And it was the evening, and she heard a scuffling outside. So she went, she opened the door, and this big, shaggy, thin mongrel of a dog came in. You know, just, just, and she was moved to such compassion by this poor brood of a dog that she decided to feed him one of the bacon. And the dog was still hungry. So, you know, she was moved, moved by compassion, so she gave another slab of the bacon. Before you know it, she had given all of the bacon to this dog, who then left happy and greatly satisfied, um, and she was going to be in trouble. But the Lord provides. So, much to her shock, her father woke up and said, do you have the bacon? And she looked in her pot, and there was five slabs of bacon there. And one of the guests who, who she thought was asleep was awake the whole time and saw what she had done and told her father, and he was annoyed and irritated, but couldn't be upset with her for not having the bacon. Uh, if I was her father, I would have been glorifying God, and like, oh, I'm living with the saint. But, um, yeah. So, the wonderful thing is, is I want to say that charity and love and compassion begets compassion. Because those guests gave their food, their bacon away to the poor in the neighboring village. So that's one of the stories of the hospitality of, of St. Brigid of Kildare. Another story I love of St. Brigid of Kildare is that there was a woman who had a tree um, near her monastery. Later on, she became a great abbess. Uh, she had a monastery in Kildare and helped spread the gospel of Christ, and it was known as the Christian House of Hospitality across all of Ireland at the time. Um, one day, she was out and about, and this man was walking by her with a he heavy sack. And she said, what, pray they, is in that sack? And he was carrying salt, and salt was wealth in those days. And he said, stones. I don't know why he lied, but Brigid's answer was, well then, stones it shall be. And he kept walking a bit and realized, hey, this bag's rather heavy. He looked inside and noticed it was stones. And in shame, he walked back and went up to her. And she said, oh, what are you carrying in your bag? And he said, salt. And she said, then salt it shall be. And it turned into salt. Um, another story I love is, is a woman living in, in a house near the monastery. She was rather poor, but she had an orchard. And a blight fell upon this orchard. And she gave one of her last pieces of fruit to a traveler who was coming by, um, who was hungry. 
And Brigid heard about it and showed up and healed the trees of her orchard. And for the rest of her days, and rumor has it the orchard still exists and is a bountiful fruit orchard. Um, the last story I want to tell of Brigid is about the King of Leinster. The King of Leinster was, you might call him King Moneybags. He loved to hoard gold. He, he loved, he just watched every penny. He was acquisitive, and he was greedy, and he was self-centered. Now, Brigid wanted to start her nunnery in Kildare, which happened to be on his lands. And she was walking by, and she said to the king, she went up to him and said, Will you give us some land for our, for our monastery? And he laughed, and he was like, no, no, I'm not going to do, why would I do that? And she said, she said, how about just as much as my cloak can cover? And he laughed. He said, sure. He like, this is ridiculous. So she called her sisters together, and they held the cloak, and they kept walking with the cloak, and it spread, and it spread, and it spread, and it spread. And then it was hard to see the nuns off in the distance. And the king of Leicester was like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm screwed. She can cover all of Ireland. What am I going to do? And he's like, stop, stop. I promise. I promise I will give you good land. And he kept his word, but he still had his acquisitive ways. She would visit him sometimes. And whenever he was being cheap, whenever he was being thrifty and miserly, she would say, have you seen my cloak lately? <laughs> and he would just go, oh, ah, and he would stop. Eventually, she wore him down, and he became a Christian. He accepted Christ as his savior and became a Christian king and ruled with magnanimity and with compassion and was known for absolute generosity. So this is a wonderful example about how love for the poor and even love for those in power and wealth with this humble servant of God, St. Brigid, um, can bring somebody to salvation. The second saint I want to talk about is very dear to me. Some of you know that I love sailing in the sea. This saint is St. Brendan the Navigator, and he expresses worship as journey. And I think that he... I ask for his prayers as we ourselves journey in the not-too-distant future. He completely trusted God. In fact, he did not even lay up provisions when he took his monks and boarded a boat to see where the wind would blow them. And one of the monks asked him, why? And he said, we can trust God for our food. It reminds me of the gospel today. St. Saint Brendan knew this gospel, that God will provide, will provide for our needs. He put his complete trust in Christ. Now, the thing is, you could almost say that St. Brendan, this is, he ties last week and this week together. What do I mean by that? There is strong evidence looking at his story that he may have come to America with his brothers. We can't prove this. We don't know for sure. But Historically, there was this marine archaeologist named Tim Severin who created an exact replica of, well, as far as archaeology can tell, of this boat and successfully went to Newfoundland. So you might say, in a way, that St. Brendan is the great-grandfather of all saints of North America. 
Um, I don't know if he made any converts here, but... Uh, now, here's the other crazy thing about his journey. The boat he took over with his monks was about 50 feet long and was made of cowhide. Would you cross the Atlantic in a boat made of cowhide? Yeah. So why did he do this? Why? It sounds insane. You know, who would think of starting um, and continuing a mission in one of the most difficult cities to afford to live in, in Vancouver, you know? But here we are. He heard as a boy the Christ, the, the gospel reading. I really should know my, my scripture numbers better. Forgive me, I'm, I'm no Father Justin. But the gospel reading where... Christ is saying, he who leaves mother, father, he who leaves his land. So he, Brendan took it literally. And one of the things is, I want to, to just emphasize that when we think of the great explorers, um, we think of the people in the age of exploration. But St. Brendan's completely different. This is not exploration as exploitation. This is not exploration for vainglory. This is not exploration uh, to, to, to gain wealth and riches. This was exploration, firstly in his case, because he loved Christ and wanted to share Christ with people that had never heard. He also just simply loved God so much. And this, again, is part of loving nature. He wanted to know his creator more by going out on the wild seas, the wild waves, and loving and observing the creatures of the sea, and going to different lands, and marveling in God's creation. Why? Because when we get a gift made by somebody we love, we cherish it. We know more about the people we love when we interact with these things. So he wanted to know his creator further. And for that, for him, that was going on a journey. Um, so, one or two funny stories about him is that um, they, his monks were worried about where they would celebrate Easter. And he said, God will provide land. And they found land. And they brought everything up, celebrated a feast together, celebrated the Eucharist. And then after their time, they got back on their boat. And just as they did, they found that their island was no island. And upreared possibly a great whale. I, I love this story. Whether it's apocryphal or not, I don't know, but I'd like to think it's true. There are lots of in, incredible stories in the story of St. Brendan um, and, his, and, and his brothers, um, such as like mountains of floating crystal, which were probably icebergs, and a place where there was this island with sulfur and rains of, of, of fire falling into the ocean, and... Um, great big monstrous giants throwing boulders at them. Interestingly enough, when you read the account from a modern scientific point of view, you observe places. Like, that sounds like Iceland. 
Another thing I want to say about Brendan's trust and love of God and his mission and his love of the sea and his love of finding out more about his creator, quite possibly this was the seed of ministry that would lead the Irish to take their boats and go to a people that would, would actually persecute them, um, literally, um, the Vikings. And the, the Celtic Christian people... They decided to sh lovingly share Jesus Christ with the Vikings, and um, that did lead eventually to to the uh, the Norse people becoming Christians. La um, the last saint I want to talk about today is Saint Cadman, who was an old English saint, alive in about the six hundreds. Saint Cadman. Saint Cadman, yes. Um, and I want to lastly talk about worship as poetry. So, St. Cademan was a simple, humble man who worked um, as a farmhand. And he loved the beast of the field. He did his job dutifully and humbly. Sometimes some of the other workers and some other people would get together and they would go in a hall and they would feast together. And a, a tradition of, of their gathering would be to hand around a heart. And that heart, as it was passed around, people would sing. They would sing songs. They would sing hymns. They would sing poetry. But Cademan would always leave. He would leave in sorrow because he didn't have anything to, that he felt he could add, that he could say. So in his heart of hearts, he desired to sing. He he had a love of words, a love of poetry, a love of music. One time after this happened, and it happened a number of times, he went to the cattle buyer where he was supposed to help out with the cattle, and then he fell asleep with the cattle. And he had a dream. And in that dream, a man appeared to him and said, Cademan, I want you to sing. And he said, me? want me to sing? Yes. And he said, well, I can't. And he said, I want you to sing. He said, well, what shall I sing if? And he said, sing about the beginning of all created things. Sing about how we must praise the maker, the eternal God, the author of all mar marvels. And so, he, much to his surprise in the dream, he could sing. He could, he could write poetry. Well, not write. He could recite poetry. He could write. He could, he could speak hymns. And he woke up, and he remembered the hymn that he had said. Now, this is the amazing thing. It was St. Cadman was illiterate. In fact, he was likely illiterate even in Old English. So here's a poet who can't write. When he woke up, he went and he told the hymn to, to some of the people. And they were amazed. So they took him to the abbess of the nearby monastery. And he recited the hymn for her. And they were amazed that this, this simple cattle, this simple farm farmer, farmhand, could recite such beautiful works. Now, he couldn't write it down. And they decided to test him. So they told him a story from the scriptures. And... With a little bit of thought, he came back the next day, 
and he recited a beautiful hymn in Old English to bless the people. And it was incredible. And the amazing thing is he could remember everything that he, that he had composed in his head. And he wrote some of the great hymns that the church had used at that time. So, Caveman is an example to us that if in our hearts of hearts we desire to bring our gifts, if we're artists, writers, poets, musicians, God loves that creativity. But, he, Caveman realized that his creativity was completely dependent upon God. All our gifts are dependent upon God. This made him joyful, and he gave that gift back not only to God, but as a blessing to the people. So in their language, they could hear these songs to the glory of God. As time went on, he grew older. And I want to talk about the way of, briefly about death. He had a good death. His, his death was, he knew the time of his death before he died. And what did he do? He didn't want to bring attention to himself. He asked that he could receive the Eucharist. And they thought this was an odd request because he didn't look ill. Um, and they gave it to him. And then he went to his brothers and sisters. He went to everybody. And he very gently said, have I, have I wronged any of you? You know, are, are we good? Forgiving brothers and sisters. He made it right with the people he loved. He humbly asked their forgiveness. And then he went to the house for the sick. He laid down. He crossed himself. Said a brief hymn to God. And then closed his eyes and went to his mate. I pray that God would grant many of us a good death such as this. What a way to die. He, he, he started his life in his heart wanting to praise God. Then God helped him to blossom, to praise his name, to sing glory. And how he lived, he died, with a hymn in his heart and on his lips. So, so with, with St. Brigid, with St. Brendan, with St. Caden, Cademan, Indeed, with all of the saints, let us care for creation. Let us plant and cultivate the love of God in all and for all. Christ taking root in the altar of our hearts. Let us offer our gifts, our lives, our very being to the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.